Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. So I've actually been thinking a lot about the people that are coming to this Bible study, and one of the things that's really a, a joy, if you think of a person who prepares uh, a message from God's Word, uh, the Scripture talks about God's Word as being food both it being milk and it being meat. It feeds us. And just like um, milk feeds a baby, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you will grow by it. And uh, the scripture also says uh, in Hebrews, which I'm looking at now, that by this time you ought to be uh, partakers of uh, meat, but you still need to go back to milk. And milk is kind of the basic things of the faith. There's nothing wrong with a baby needing milk, and there's nothing wrong with someone who's young in their faith needing some of the basic things. And I think I've been just convicted since the last time I was here um, uh, that there are just some basic things that we need to cover. And just like a chef who's been working in a restaurant for a long time, I've been preparing meals from God's Word for a long time, and I have a lot of recipes, okay? And so I don't want to just be assuming or presuming that some of these uh, basic and treasured things of the faith are obvious to you. So for the next two weeks, I'm gonna speak here, God willing, everyone say God willing. willing. I'm gonna speak here on Saturday nights and I'm gonna speak a message on heaven and a message on hell. I'm not gonna hide from you the fact that I'm struck by the fact that two men who have failed their drug tests on this campus are now both in eternity. Uh, One by a gunshot and one by an overdose whose wake some of us will be going to on Tuesday. So these are serious, serious matters. And I have a great privilege to talk to people whose very lives are in the balance in regard to what they are deciding to do about their addiction. And this piece of property is so heavily prayed over as a place of life and as a place of life change. If you could put out of your mind uh, for uh, the time being all of the crappy Christians you ever knew, all of the uh, terrible hypocritical church leaders, all of the things that make the subjects that I'm talking about difficult for you to hear because you have been, and I can say I have been, um, wounded by you know, religious people. But if you strip away all of that, you would see that Jesus Christ himself was known as the friend of sinners. In fact, one of the things that the religious people criticized him about most was that he was most comfortable in the presence of people who were most aware of their need for him by virtue of where their life was at. Now that real thing, that's not a matter of church, that's not a matter of religion, that's not a matter of denomination, that's not a matter of you know, religious leaders and how cruel and judgmental and superficial they can be. That's a matter of like real legit thing. And I believe there is a God who spoke the universe into existence. His son, uh, his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, He came uh, into this world and died a sacrificial, a punitive death as payment for the sins of mankind. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves and he uh, secured a just payment for sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we've all had jobs, you know what a paycheck is. Well, the paycheck you get for sin is death. 
And that doesn't mean just physical death because everyone's going to die physically. It means what the Bible calls the second death, which is uh, an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And I'm going to preach on that next week. The last time I preached on hell, I preached on it on a Saturday night just like this, and I sat in a room and cried afterwards for half an hour. Hell is so awful that you would not wish it on your worst enemy if you knew even a fraction of the horrors of hell. But as awful as hell is, heaven is that beautiful and that glorious, and God has prepared it for those who love him. And so I want to take you to the last book in the Bible today, and I want to teach about what is heaven going to actually be like. And um, I'm going to read these eight verses to you. The last book in the Bible is called, someone say it. Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 21, this is right at the end, the opposite end from Adam and Eve, a long, long way from King David. A long, long time even after Jesus Christ has probably uh, finished his earthly... By the time we get to the book of Revelation being written, Jesus has been gone from the earth for the best part of 60 plus years. And then we get the entire church age, which is the last 2,000 years, and much of that is in the book of Revelation. But when you get to Revelation 21, and Jesus Christ has already come back, uh, which I believe that's going to happen someday. Love it if it happened today. And, but he is going to come back for his own. And in the Old Testament, they waited uh, over 4,000 years for the first advent of Jesus Christ when he came as a baby in a manger and grew to be a man. And as I said, died and rose again. Um, he's only begun 2,000 uh, years this time. But if you know the Bible at all, you know that everything in the Scripture is pointing to the fact that Christ could uh, come very soon. And if you read the newspaper at all, you can't be unaware of the fact that the world is really vortexing right now. Like, not much is going very well. And the Bible says that uh, lawlessness will increase, and uh, men will be lovers of themselves, and they will heap up for themselves teachers having itchy ears, telling them the things that they want to hear. And, of course, all these things we see happening before our eyes Maybe the Lord will come even before the end of this year. In the meantime, uh, after he comes and sets everything right in the world, uh, we believe that he will uh, reign upon the earth uh, for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, there's this thing called the new heaven and the new earth. And that's when we go into eternity and everything is recreated and everything's awesome. And the people that are in hell are there to stay and the people that are in heaven are there to stay. That's why Hebrews 9.27 says... It is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes judgment. You get one shot at this. You, you, there's no redo. There's no do-over. There's no if only I had known. How many people have things in their life already they wish they could do different? Well, those things are nothing compared to what you will feel if you step out of this world and you're not properly reconciled to Jesus Christ. Now, I know that when I say that in this context, Jesus Christ, there is a lot of different thoughts about who he is and what I'm talking about. So after I do this message on heaven, I've been thinking about this a lot, and after I do the message on hell, then we're going to start a seven or eight week series uh, called Worthy. And I'm going to preach on who is Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to the most glorious 
earth-shattering, window-rattling passages in all of God's Word that just tell us who Jesus Christ is, because a lot of people have some pretty messed up notions about that. And there's no problem with that. I understand that. He's, he is so, so awesome. So uh, that's what's coming up. Heaven tonight, hell the next, next week, God willing. Then seven or eight weeks on just who is Jesus Christ from the most, uh, the passages are just unbelievable. One of them is right here across the page in Revelation 19. But I'm not going to drift into that. Just heaven tonight. I'm going to read the passage of scripture, then I'm going to pray, then we're going to get into it. Here's the eight verses we're going to study. Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be here, and we're grateful that we are here by your mercy and by your kindness. We thank you for this property, and we thank you for its purpose, for men to find freedom from addiction and the strength to lead their families as they long to. I thank you for every person who's made their way here tonight, I believe that they're here in answer to prayer and by your appointment. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would bring just a hush upon our spirits, that your word might speak with power and with authority as it can only by your spirit. Cause our hearts and minds to be awakened with the glorious future in heaven that you have planned for those who love you and cause the words of this passage we've just read to be life to us and to give us faith. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you know the preachers are around funeral homes more than anybody else, right? I guarantee you there's nobody in this room who's been to a funeral home more than me. And, and I never liked going. Never felt like that was a great experience, but I always did it to kind of try to serve people and to care for people. And, and I've stood at the front of too many chapels with grieving parents and little teeny caskets. And I've been with families that lost their father and lost their mother all too soon. And I've just really seen all of it. And one of the things that I've observed in the midst of all this is that there are a lot of just crazy, crazy notions out there um, about heaven. The problem is you can't really fix what people think about heaven 
because, you know, they're in a, uh, you know, it's just, you're in a funeral home. It's just not an easy time to say, yeah, you're just clueless about heaven. So you just kind of let people say things and these kind of misunderstandings sort of persist. So we've surveyed 100 people. Top five answers are on the board to this question. Uh, name something that people think about heaven that is not actually true. Number five, shooting stars. Angels, in, when you see a star, a shooting star, that's an angel in heaven getting its wings. Anybody know where that comes from? It comes from that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. That was a bell, though. That's what? What? Whenever a bell rings. A bell rings, right. all right. But I've heard them both. That's true, you're right. I've heard a bell ringing, and I, I thank you for your uh, keeping us honest always, Jaws, about the... The, uh, the, we, got a, we got a movie star there. He's a movie. He's a star. Thank you. That's awesome. It's really awesome. It is actually a bell ringing, but I've also heard a star shooting. Uh, both of these are about angels. Not true. Nowhere in the Bible. Um, here's a terrible one, number four. Um, we've heard people say, how many people have heard this, that when children die, uh, it's because God needed another angel? Hands up if you've heard that one. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Like God's up in heaven going, hey, we're running short of little of angels here. Somebody run little Billy over with a buzz. Right? I mean, is that ridiculous? I mean, that's so cruel and mean. I mean, like God doesn't have enough angels, and now he's like raiding the little children stash. It's but again, you know, if somebody's really hurting and they say, Well, I think Billy became an angel, it's just you just have to kind of let it go. And so these myths persist. Now here's one. Um, that all you do in heaven is sit on clouds and play the harp. Anybody heard that? I mean, no wonder people aren't excited to get to heaven. I don't even like the harp. <laughs> and I'm going to sit on a cloud. And, I mean, no wonder people are like, that doesn't sound very awesome to me. I agree. But that's not what the Bible says about heaven. There's nothing in the Bible about that at all. Um, oh, here's a crazy one. Um, you can't know if you're going to heaven until you get there. Right? You've heard that. And then who meets you at the gate? Right. Not true. But we've all heard it. Say Peter meets you at the gate, and then he's got some, like, skill-testing question, like, what's the square root of 72? And if you don't, like, have it right away, you know, like, they're like, release the hounds, and that's it. You know, it's like this, this moment. I'm going to stand at this gate, and he's going to have, like, some skill-testing question for me. None of that's in the Bible. But remarkable that people think it. Now, here's, here's a crazy one. Number one answer five uh, myths or confusions about heaven that persist shooting stars children become angels sitting on clouds playing the harp you can't know till you get there if you're going to get in number one answer this is crazy too you get to heaven by being a good person that's everywhere that god's going to weigh up the good and the bad that i've done and if the scales go this way i'm in but if they go this way, sorry, you're out. Now, of course, that's completely and totally false. And I'll go over that before we get to the end of the message. But no more talking about things that aren't true. Let's focus on things that are true. Somebody say good idea. Amen. Start with this. Um, we're in Revelation 21, 1 and 2. And those of you that are a little bit newer to Bible teaching, um, the reason I have you have a Bible in your hands there. If you don't have one, get one open and, and look at it. Here, you should be checking up on me. I have no authority other than the authority of God's Word. I have no special connection. I don't have a certain status. It's nothing like that. I'm relaying to you what the Word of God says, and you should insist upon that. Why sit and listen to anything else? Don't we have a lot of it, it seems to me, out there? 
I mean, talking heads are everywhere. Enough of it seems to me. How about it's written? Okay. Here's the first thing in the text that you'll see it there yourself. In heaven, everything is always new. So if you want to know something intelligent about heaven that you can say to your kids if they ask you, to your friends if they ask you, here it is. In heaven, everything is always new. Now, notice in the text it says, verse 1, then I saw a, what kind of heaven? A new heaven and what kind of earth? A new earth. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, uh, biblically speaking, heaven uh, can uh, refer to three things. It can refer to the realm of the earth and the sky. So today it was a sunny day, but there were some clouds. And, and that sometimes in heaven is in the sky, up in the heavens. The second uh, heaven in the Bible is the one uh, in, that you can see at night. You know, at night we're not just looking at the sky anymore. We're looking into space. And we're seeing the... the um, the, uh, what's the, what, what, yeah, the stars, but what's the name of uh, the solar system? We're seeing the solar system and we're seeing the universe. That's the second heaven. And then uh, that's fractionally visible to us. And then the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I had a vision and I was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is the dwelling place of the angels and God himself. All right. And so um, notice it says in the text that the, uh, John says the first heaven, that's all three realms as originally created, have passed away. So the atmosphere around the earth, the realm of space, and then the heaven where God has been residing through the times of the Bible, all of that is going to pass away. And instead, so that means gone, right? Your house is gone. My house is gone. Okay. And uh, rock bottom, gone. Uh, the church that you attended as a kid, if you did, gone. All of that stuff is going to be wiped away. It will not be part of eternity. It's all going. So we do spend a lot of time polishing our bikes, don't we, Chuck? Yes, we do. But it's going to be gone. Yes. All right? If there's Harleys in heaven, which I've done a lot of study, I believe there will be. Amen. <laughs> if there are Harleys in heaven, uh, they will be new ones. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Poor Tom, he just bought a new Harley. That's going, Tom. That's going. And uh, everything, just think about how we hang on to things here, right? Just think how we hang on to things. It's all going to go, all of it. Notice also it says, the first earth, first earth is gone. Then he says, and there will be no more sea. The sea was no more. Do you see that? If you see that in the text, say, see it. See it there? So I want to talk about every part of this. I'm not skipping over any of it. I'm not trying to create a message for you. I'm trying to tell you what's here. Now, the sea, especially in ancient times, we've kind of conquered the seas now. We fly over them. We travel under them in submarines. We ride on top of them in boats. But by the time, when the time when the Bible was written, the sea was a place of great darkness and uncertainty. And they used to believe the earth was flat. They used to believe that if you sailed across the earth, you would fall off of it. And so sea was a, a symbol of um, fear and uncertainty. And so that's what he's really saying. It's the first of seven things in this passage that are not in heaven. No more sea. Now, verse 2 expands the idea of the new place that we're going to live. And I saw the holy city. Next word. New. That's why I'm telling you, in heaven, everything's new. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And uh, notice four things in the text. Notice that this new Jerusalem, which is the city that we're going to live in. Listen to me. 
if you have turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness, if you haven't, you should do that today. That's right. You don't know if you have tomorrow. If you have done that, if you've turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness, I want you to hear this. You're going to live in this city. You will live there as sure as you're looking at me right now. You are going to live in the heavenly city, and you're going to be there for all of eternity. Notice it's a holy city, pure and righteous, set apart without fault, perfect and sinless. How much garbage do we read about in the paper and hear about on the news that is really just another category of sin, right? People stealing and people raping and people murdering and people pillaging and people abusing one another. Hold up. How, how much of that's there going to be in heaven? Come on, how much? Right. There's going to be none of it. Like, none of it. Like, not that I didn't know about it, that it didn't happen. Isn't heaven awesome already? Amen. Right? It's going to be a holy city. And then notice this. It's from God. And I saw it. You see it there? A holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, two words, from God. Now that's obvious. Who would want to live in a heaven that wasn't from God and made by God? But the text is making it clear. There's another thing about this new heaven. It's going to be from God. There's a God who made the heavens and the earth, and he's going to make the new heaven where we're going to live through all of eternity. It's holy. It's from God. Notice it says there, made ready. Made ready. Do you see that in the text? New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared, or some translations say, made ready. I love that idea. Colossians 1, that we're going to study in our series, Worthy, said that Jesus made the world in six days. In John chapter 14, he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Jesus Christ has been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Do you know how awesome it's going to be? Do you have any idea? Say, I do not. not. Paul said to the Corinthians, I has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Like your mind can't even scratch the surface of thinking how awesome heaven is going to be. It would blow our minds to think of it. We can't begin to comfort. You think you're going to walk into heaven and be disappointed? You're going to walk into heaven and this is it? <laughs> it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be the opposite of that. We, we won't be able to get over it. And the illustration they use is, as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, my wife is at a shower tonight for our daughter, who is having in about a month probably our last grandchild. And uh, I wish Kathy was here. I can't honestly say that she wishes she was. She's having a great time with our daughter and her sisters are in town. They're all just having a great time celebrating this little girl that's going to be born, God willing, about a month from now. And we're very, very excited about that. But I remember the day that Kathy and I got married almost 39 years ago. And if you've ever been in love, and there's, I'm standing at the back of the church. We got married outside. And my friend lent us a 1963 Lincoln convertible and my wife came out of the front door of my grandmother's house I could see her a long way away like the other side of this property more she got into back of this convertible the father opened the door and she had a beautiful white dress on <clears throat> they drove her down the driveway she pulled up to the back of where we had maybe a couple hundred chairs at the most set up 
And then she got out of the car. And she walked down the aisle. And her father stepped away. And she came right to me. Amen. Amen. So awesome. And that's the feeling that the Holy Spirit gave us to the writer of Scripture to say, that's what you're going to feel like when you get to heaven. Like a bride adorned for her husband. You're just like, this is for me. This is what you made for me. It's going to be such an awesome, awesome thing. And so I love that picture that's coming to us from the scripture. See it there? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Someone say awesome. 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 A good summary word for all of this is the word new. It's used multiple times in the passage. New, 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 new. How many people like new stuff? New. I'm a big fan of new stuff. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm a very, very big fan of new stuff. I like, I mean, you name it. I like new clothes better than old clothes. I like new cars better than old cars. I like new <coughs> restaurants that I've never been to before. I like a lot of new. I don't like new friends. I like old friends. Some old things are good, but a lot of new things are incredible. Now, in heaven, everything's going to be new. So I'll just give you a little coaching here. When you're in heaven, you see your friend, you're like, hey, Bill, is that a new suit? You're like, yes, because in heaven, everything's new. Jane, is that a new hairstyle? Yes. I've been here for 10,000 years, and you've never showed up in the same clothes with the same hairstyle. Because in heaven, everything is always going to be new. If you say to someone, hey, can I borrow your old broom? No, I, I don't have one, but you can borrow this new one. Picture in heaven. How's your work going? Oh, I don't know. I'm working at this job for 10,000 years, but it's always something different. Every single day. You won't be bored in heaven. You won't be. Turn to somebody beside you and say, you're not going to be bored in heaven. Not going to be bored in heaven. Not going to be bored in heaven. Everything's going to always be new. And I want you to feel excited about it, as excited as the words in the text are about it. I mean, you're going to come away from the Lord's table on night number one million. And if someone... Missed it, and they see you coming back to your place. Hey, what was what they have tonight? Oh, I don't know. It's nothing. We've never had anything like this before. Never had a meal like this before. And that's what heaven's going to be like all the time. That kind of that new car smell, new meal taste, new clothing feel, new always in heaven. That's the first point in the message. In heaven, everything is always new. Can say awesome. 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 awesome? awesome. I'm just getting started, y'all. Amen. Now this, from verse 3. In heaven, God is near. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Never, never before spoken. Not true today. The dwelling place of God is with man. God is on throne in heaven. He's here in the sense that difference makes no distance. Difference, uh, Distance makes no difference. He's very aware of what's happening here right now. He's very aware, and I'm praying to be faithful to his word. I'm talking about someone else's word. I, you know, when somebody else is talking about your thing, you want them to get it right, right? And I'm trying to get it right. I pray that the Lord would help me to get this right. I'm talking about heaven, that he's prepared for all of us. And But then it says, behold, or check this out, or this is remarkable or worthy of seeing, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
Now that word, uh, loud voice there, the phrase loud voice is the last of 20 times it's used in the book of Revelation. It means significant and worthy of attention. And then when it says the dwelling place, or some translations say the tabernacle of God, as I said, is the place where God resides. Now in the Old Testament, both in the tabernacle, which is what they worshipped in when they came from Egypt to the promised land, they had this tent that they were in. And inside the tent there was the outer courts, and then the inner courts, and then at the very center there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And that was considered the dwelling place of God. The priests, excuse me, the priests, forgive me, the priests were only allowed to go in there about once a year on the Day of Atonement. And they had to come in with a blood sacrifice first, and it was the Holy of Holies, and you were supposed to stay out. In fact, they would tie a rope around his leg so that if he died in the presence, they could, wouldn't go in to get him, but they would drag him out again. And if you know that backdrop, how holy the presence of God is. Isaiah 6 says that in the presence of God right now, the angels are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they're singing that continuously. And so when you understand that backdrop, it's just so remarkable here that the text is saying that the dwelling place of God will be with man. No longer behind the veil, no longer present by his spirit alone, no longer across the crystal sea. Everyone say, with us. With, with us. us. God owns the house up the street. God moves into the neighborhood, and everything's going to get a lot better. Okay? He's with us. I don't think, I just, I just don't think we'll ever get over the nearness of God. I just don't think we'll ever get over it. And all that we feel in this life and all that we were made to long for will not be long for anymore. It will be ours. God himself, it says in the text, will be with them and be their God. We can spend as much time with them as we want. How many people have some questions? Yeah. I've got some questions I want to ask right. about. I've got some <laughs> things that have happened in my life that I don't understand why God allowed that. I've got a lot of things that I've seen happen to other people that make no sense to me at all. And I think about the things in the Bible. I want to ask Jesus a lot of questions about the passages and the stories that I've spent my life studying. But you can go first. For there for eternity. There's more than enough time for everyone to get their chance. Amen? What was it like as a baby? Tell us about walking on the water. What were you thinking on the cross? I want to understand. Then notice at the beginning of verse 7, and I'll come back to the verses I'm skipping. The one who overcomes or the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. The one who overcomes is John's terminology for all genuine believers. He who endures to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. The picture is of a wounded and weary, battle-worn soldier walking into heaven and falling into the arms of his Father. He who overcomes, see it there in verse 7, will have this heritage, will have this heaven, will have this newness, will have this nearness. I will be his God. 
and he will be my son. If you've ever had a painful or disappointing relationship with a parent, and you have longed for what you see or perceive that others have, and you realize that you haven't had that. There's ways that we can fill in some of that for one another. But ultimately, God himself will be your father. Yeah. It's going to be um, pretty drop, top drawer, y'all. So, again, just going through the text. In heaven, everything is always new. In heaven, God is near. In heaven, suffering is absent. All in favor of no more suffering? Amen. That's heaven. Look at verse 4. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Notice God will do it. Nothing delegated here. Not, hey, angel number, you know, 7 million, 900 and whatever thousand. Not that. God himself will reach, Jesus, I believe, will reach his nail-pierced hand Wipe the final tear of human existence from your eyes. Did you know that the Bible says that God saves our tears in a bottle? It says that. Psalm 56 verse 8 says that God saves our tears in a bottle and that the stories of our tears are written in a book. And some of you cry a lot. Some of you cry little. But I think we all understand that you can be crying on the inside whether there's tears or not. Do you ever feel yourself go, and feel a breath sob even if you haven't been crying because of something that's grieving your heart in heaven God the symbol of pain of the symbol <coughs> the symbolic of pain related to life on earth everything that dashed your hopes and shattered your dreams and broke your heart the things about which we silently anguish and wonder why summarized with the word tears Wiped away in finality by God the Father into a bottle, sealed, and over, gone. All of that, in fact, to say this: um, if you see a hearing, if you see someone with a tear in their eye in heaven, a really good thing to say to them is, "You're happy, aren't you?" And they'll say, "Yeah, I am." There won't be and there might be some tears in heaven, but there'll be tears of said joy. Tears of joy. Probably lots of those. No tears of sorrow. Tears will be the ultimate symbol that people are experiencing the phenomenal, ultimate, unalterable happiness of heaven. But not just no more tears. Go back to verse 4 with me. No more death. How about that? No more death. How about that, Bobby? No more death. No looking ahead. No counting time. No age. Come No anticipation of the end. No older, no younger. All moving forward together in an endless newness and fullness of joy. No funerals. No funeral homes, no caskets, no tombstones, no sudden loss of loved ones, no heart-rending goodbyes, none of it in heaven. God himself will say, no more death. Awesome, just awesome. Amen. And then, I think one of my greatest fears in my life has been losing one of my children. And now, they're in their 30s, I wouldn't want to hurt their hearts, but I think now it would be more like losing one of my 
grandchildren. Losing someone that you love so much, who has lived so little and experienced so little of the joyful and fulfilling part of living for God in this life. All of that will be done in heaven. Then notice this in the text. Just going through verse 4, y'all. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. We talked about that. Death shall be no more. We talked about that. Neither shall there be mourning. That's the idea of sorrow. It's the result so often of death. And uh, Kathy and I were down in uh, Phoenix this week visiting our son Landon there, who's just been given a wonderful position as the teaching pastor of a really wonderful church. It's such a miracle. And such a provision of God and he's so gifted and we're so grateful and he's so encouraged and the road that we've been on has been very very hard on my entire family and so when I see them doing a little bit better it feels makes me feel so much better and Landon has really struggled and suffered a lot over the last few years and um, he was so different when he was a kid I remember one time driving along with my son Landon uh, and like you would do with your kids we're just driving along and I'm in my car or whatever and he's sitting over there beside me and I I've told this story before, but I remember looking over at him, and he just said that I was not in the best of moods. Anybody ever have that? It's not the best of moods. Look at you all smiling, but no one raised their hand. Not one person admitted that they are not. Okay, so I was like that that day, and I looked over at Landon, and he used to make a smile on his face, ear to ear. Kind of bugged me a little bit, so I was like, what's the matter with you? He looked right over me, he says, nothing. Big smile. I said, what are you happy about? He said, everything. I said, well, what's bothering you? Not a thing in the world. <laughs> That's what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> like that. For you. No more death. No more sorrow. No failure. No disappointment. No disillusionment. People ask, well, will we remember this life? I don't know that for sure from Scripture. I don't think the Bible really answers that clearly. But here's what I'll say. If we can remember our failures, they won't bother us. If we can remember our disappointments, they won't grieve us. Nothing will ever make you sad in heaven. Yes. Nothing. Ever. So I'm kind of a cranky person. You'll lose that. Okay? That's going to be gone too. And if you're like really sour, well, those people, you know, they go to hell. So. <laughs> and then this. I think some of you will relate to this more than others, but it bears mentioning. Wipes away every tear. Death no more. No more sorrow or mourning. Um, no crying. That's a big overlap. But then this. No pain. No pain. No pain. Think of it. No pain. How many bad choices have we made because of a pain that we cannot resolve? A pain that we cannot make go away. Why are you doing that? I have this pain. I'm not saying it's okay, but I think we need to be merciful with one another and understand there is human suffering. And sometimes we make wrong choices to solve real problems. No physical pain, perfect health, no disabilities, no wheelchairs, no white cane. Sign language will just be for fun. I spoke, I, I did the um, game commentating for my one of my grandson's football games earlier today. 
and beside me was a boy with Down syndrome and sitting up in the booth and there was the timekeeper and the announcer and this kid and he was so sweet. Turns out that his father was one of the referees and he knew that he'd be safe up there. He'd walk up a ladder and get in this kind of booth looking over the field. And so I sat there with this kid for, I don't know, 60 or 70 minutes. And I just thought, you know, there's a lot of pain. He didn't know sign language though and he told me his name and I had a deaf roommate in college so I know how to just letter things out a little bit so I told him my name and interesting he was sitting in the corner when I got there by the time his dad came up he was sitting like right next to me and I had my arm on his shoulder and <laughs> I just had a lot of joy loving that little boy but also being aware of his pain no tests in heaven no tests no pills no surgeries no doctors no dentists thank god <laughs> no stinking 700 dollar root canals okay none of it in heaven your worst day in heaven will be a hundred percent like your best day in heaven all the same perfect health perfect relationships every day have a good day will be a really stupid thing to say in heaven like people are like are you new here <laughs> everybody's new here that's right but but they just there just won't be um any sense that anything there won't be people standing over the corner why can't we have more of this you know when, when are they guys? When are they guys? It's not like being part of a club, you know, or a group of people. Where there's always some people over in the corner, you know, not doing much, but complaining a lot. Nothing like that. Nobody's going to be looking for a raise. No, no bosses are going to be taking advantage. It's going to be nothing like that in heaven. No physical pain, but I would say at least more significant in my life. No relational pain. No confrontation, no misunderstanding, no instructing others, no strife, no conflict, no pride, no hurt feelings. Everyone moving forward together in a relational choreography that will make a human dance troupe look like a joke. Everyone relating so perfectly and beautifully together so in heaven everything is new God is near suffering is absent two more things you with me we're only gonna be studying the Bible for about ten more minutes so give it your fullest attention thanks for doing that so far note this fourth thing in heaven satisfaction is abundant satisfaction is abundant in heaven and i wanted to show this to you in verse six we had skipped over that and we're back to it now and he said to me it is done this is jesus it is done i am the alpha and omega you know what that means yeah. Well, he does. He goes on and explains it doesn't mean alpha is the first letter in the greek alphabet omega is the last and so that's euphemistic for the beginning and the end. Jesus is like, I started it, I'm finishing it. All right, I put this thing in motion, now I'm bringing it to a conclusion. It is done. The final words of earth history. The first words were, let there be light. And the last words are, it is done. 
I just find that so awesome. Alpha and Omega. I love the fact that, you know, people start things. We've all done it. We start things. We don't finish them. But note this. Jesus finishes what he starts. It's like, turn out your light. Turn out the lights. Leave your things. Wrap it up. You know, we are out of here. This is the end of human history. You're looking at it right there on the page. And then this phrase, I will give, see it there? To the thirsty one, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is a picture of fullness. Have you noticed that when you're thirsty, I mean like really thirsty, I mean, Kool-Aid's not going to get it done. Coffee's not going to get it done. Am I right? Yeah. When you're really thirsty, what do you want? Water. Water. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? The simplest thing, yeah. the thing that God gave us, the thing that God made, most quenches our thirst. We know that by experience. But in the scriptures, water is a picture of abundant satisfaction. When Jesus said to the woman at the well, I am the uh, spring of life. I'm, I'm the, the well of life, springing up into eternal life. And here, the same message again. To the thirsty one, I will give from the spring of the water of life. Isaiah 40, he says, I will pour water on the thirsty. Hosea 6, said, he says, he will come to us like the rain. John chapter 4, as I just quoted, he said to the woman at the well, and the one who drinks from the water that I will give will never thirst Again, that's just awesome. People often ask questions about heaven. I should say people often ask pastors questions about heaven, so maybe I'm the only guy who's having these conversations. <laughs> it's happening to you, but it's happened to me you know, pretty often. You know, will I be able to do my embroidery in heaven? You know? If you want it, you will have it. That's the picture of this satisfying water. You're going to have what you want. If you don't have it, you won't say it. Want it. If you don't have it, you won't want it. You won't want it. Nobody's going to be missing anything that would increase even fractionally their satisfaction. People are like, well, will there be pets in heaven? i got to have my, you know, i got to have my pet in heaven. I've studied this very, very carefully, and I can tell you that there will be dogs in heaven, no cats. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Will there be golf in heaven? Yeah. I'd like to say yes, but I must say I don't know. What I do know is nothing that you don't have would increase your satisfaction even a little bit. No one will ever ask, could I have more of that? When will there be more of these? Why can't we X, Y, Z? Never. Now, from the text, and I'm just going to bring this to a conclusion with one more verse. You've seen that in heaven everything will be new. In heaven God will be near. In heaven there will be no more pain. Pain will be absent. Suffering will be absent. In heaven um, we will have total uh, satisfaction in abundance. Now this is the part that I'm going to talk about more for next week. If you want to talk to me or Chuck or Bobby after about this, I have no joy in saying this to you, but I have a responsibility to tell you the truth, and here it is. Everybody's not going to heaven. 
Everybody's not going to heaven. It would be unusual. It would be unusual if everyone in this room was going to heaven. I'm not saying that everyone isn't. I'm saying it would be unusual if. And so the last person in the passage, to be faithful to the passage and teach all that it says, is verse 8. Eight characteristics of people not going to heaven. Number one, you see how it ends? Their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, the second death. Who? There. Who's there? Well, these eight characteristics. Number one, the cowardly. Lacking courage, hiding from reality, unwilling to face or choose beyond the moment. What I need right now. What I need right now. And living their whole life that way. So many people live their whole life that way. Just now. No thought of tomorrow and a thousand years from today and ten thousand years from today. The Bible says that God's placed eternity in our hearts. And most of us have a sense that something in this physicalness, this physicalness falls into the ground. Something in here is going to go on. And it's going to go to one of these two places. Now, these, these eight words that I'm going to go through before I close, I just want to say that these are not, were you ever cowardly? Because if, if you were ever cowardly and you're going to hell, I should just close and leave. It's talking about if, it, if that is the overriding characteristic of your life. If the overriding characteristic of your life is cowardice, never courageous, never strong, never doing the difficult thing, always giving in to what's easiest and urgent, that's a really bad sign. That should keep you awake at night. The cowardly, and then the unbelieving. Unbelieving. See, the truth and the evidence for God is everywhere. It's in creation. It's in this property, significantly. Yeah. It is everywhere. And the evidence is there saying to you, there's a God. There's a God. This didn't all come from a Explosion in space? Are you serious? Are you serious? Can you throw a stick of dynamite into a printing factory and get the Declaration of Independence? No. You can't get order from chaos. Creation demands a creator. Now the Bible says that we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. That there's something in me that knows there's a God and there's something in me that wants there not to be one. Because if there isn't one, then I can do what I want. See? And <laughs> that's why preachers are real unpopular sometimes. And some of you can be like, I should shut up. Like, <laughs> okay, but I just want you to know that I love you and that that isn't me. That isn't me. Okay? I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot yeah. the messenger. Amen. I'm just telling you the truth. That if cowardice is the history of your life, that can change, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Cowardly or unbelieving. Then this term, let me read it from the text, the cowardly, the unbelieving or faithless, and then that word detestable. It's, some translations say abominable. It's a general term for a pattern of unrighteousness. The general pattern of your life is hating, not loving, coveting, not caring, Lying, not telling the truth. Pleasing yourself, not pleasing others. 
And then number four, the mur uh, detestable and murderers. As for murderers, and remember that Jesus said that if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, then you're a murderer. I had a good talk today with a brother about someone who has hated me and I said on the phone, I would be happy to meet with him and express my love for him at any opportunity. The characteristics of saved people is you just can't go on hating when you've been loved by God. Amen. And the characteristics of not going to heaven people is hatred sits really well with you. It doesn't need to be resolved. You just keep adding to the pile and putting it in the trailer you've been pulling your, behind yourself since the bag got too full. Five, immoral, sexually immoral. Um, that's pretty clear in its meaning. I don't think it needs to be explained. If the pattern of your life is sexual immorality, you can't be confident that you're going to heaven. Struggle with lust, welcome to being a man. Have no desire for victory over it and feed your appetites whenever you feel like it. That's not the life of a person who has been changed by the power of God. Idolaters. That's worshiping anything other than the true God, including worshiping self, worshiping success, worshiping stuff, worshiping substance. All of that is idolatry. The last one is liars. Lying to God, lying to others, lying to themselves. Notice that it says that their place or their part or their portion is in the lake of fire. And as I said at the outset, as awesome as heaven is, hell will be that awful. And if we understood even a little bit of it, we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy. So, everyone's not going to heaven. Are you? I'm going to close, and uh, if you would just bow in a word of prayer with me. And I invite you to close your eyes for this reason, that with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you're not looking really around at anyone else anymore. You're just looking... Uh, inward to yourself. So if you would all do that, just close your eyes and let me talk to you personally. Can you look to a time in your life when you turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness? Now, you don't need to know the date and the time, but you need to know that it happened need to know that you know. Well, there was one time my grandma, it's not about somebody else, not what they told you. You can't catch this. You have to take it. It's a gift. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you have to reach out and take the gift. You say, how do you do that? It's as simple as ABC. ABC. Except the fact that you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard. If you live in the house, just check with somebody else. Right? We all fall in many ways, the Bible says. No perfect people here. Just people that need to be forgiven. Accept the fact that you're a sinner. Believe in your heart that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. Now, I can think of a time in my life when I didn't believe that. But then I did believe it. The Bible says that faith is a gift from God. So here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins? Well, then comes the third thing. If you believe it, 
then confess it. Jesus said, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there's ABC, accepting the fact you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin, and confessing it. Last Bible verse, last paragraph. Hear this. Romans 10, 9. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Yes. Saved from what? Saved from hell that we're going to talk about all next week. And we need to be saved from hell. You'll understand that better after the next message. But I just want to lead in a little prayer right now. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or raise their hand. I've seen a lot of that. I'm not so sure about it. But I know that the Lord is here right now. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, he'll hear you. I promise you that. Just pray, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe. I do. I believe it. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I don't even know when I started believing that, but when I look in my heart, I see it's right there. I believe it. Thank you, God, for the gift of believing. Say, I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins. And right now, I confess him as my Savior. I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into them. And if you have just now accepted the fact that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin, and confess Jesus as your Savior, he has come into your life. Right now. Thank you, Lord, for your saving power. Thank you for the joy of being with these people whom we love. Thank you for this Bible study. It belongs to you. Do whatever you want to do with it. We're so grateful to be here. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.